0: Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Well, you know how excited I am about Theragun Gen 4. Uh, It's been a stressful time, right? we're all stressed about the politics and the COVID and uh, I use Theragun. It's a handheld percussive therapy device that releases the deep muscle tension. It is scientifically calibrated with a combination of depth, speed and power and quiet as an electric toothbrush. So I've always been a fan of these kinds of devices and the old ones used to be so noisy. My dog would freak out for an hour after I used it. Well, the all new Gen four Theragun has proprietary brushless motor that is so quiet. You'll wonder if it's even on. And of course you will get the effect. i if you're a massage lover, you will not need massages anymore. I, I, God is my witness, this is a great product. Try Theragun risk-free for 30 days. There's no substitute for Theragun Gen 4 with OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and quiet and power that you need. Starts at only $199. Go to Theragun.com/slash/drew right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That is Theragun T H E R A G U N Theragun.com/slash/drew, not Doctor Drew, just Drew. Theragun.com/slash/drew. everybody, welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, again, keep uh, in mind the people that keep us afloat here. We appreciate you supporting them, so we can keep doing these pods. We appreciate it and keep uh, keep Mr. Corolla happy, more importantly. Um, again, look at uh, your mom's house, got After Dark there, and don't forget the streaming shows we try to do most days. Um, we may cut them down a little bit as we all emerge from the coronavirus nightmare, but uh, go, it's all over at drdrew.com, and uh, of course, Adam and I are trying to do you know at least three days a week, this, uh, going right now. My guest today is Anthony Howard Brown. His book is From Park Branch to Park Avenue, One Man's Journey Out of Homelessness. You can follow Anthony at @brown_manner. brown underscore manor. We'll tell you about Brown Manor in a minute. The website is anthonyhowardbrown.com. And there's a GoFundMe for Brown Manor, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, just search Brown Manor. it be brown like the color and manor, M-A-N-O-R. Anthony, Welcome.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Drew.
0: So uh, it's very important to me, I hope you don't mind, that, that people hear your story because I think your story is paradigmatic of what homelessness is, how it happens, and how it could be addressed. Uh, are you with me on that? Sure. I, right. I have no
1: problem. <laughs> All right. Good.
0: And I know you. I've made you tell your story before, and I promise you this won't be the last time, but tell your story if you don't mind.
1: Uh, basically, I'm um- – I'm a product of, um, how can I say, childhood trauma, which translates, there was a bunch of abuse when I was younger, both physically, um, I, I could say mentally, emotionally, a bunch of alcohol involved. Um, that happened in, at the age of nine. I got up in the morning, found my mom laying on the floor. She got shot in the head. That uh, kind of stuck with me for a while. I can't understand, um, can't understand why. Yeah. And, and then um, at the age of 14, I decided I couldn't take my living environment. So I ran away from home, um, got involved in drugs, um, multiple incarcerations. I finally slowed down at the age of 37. Well,
0: let's 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 take it. Let's take it and drill in a little bit to the history. So you run away from home. And do you immediately find drugs? Or were drugs already underway? And they were just a,
1: a solution that just
0: kept getting bigger in
1: your life? Um, drugs was already underway. I've been drinking uh, since I was a little kid. I remember um, discovering my mom's gin underneath the kitchen sink. And, and, she, so, and she drank too? Yeah, yeah she drank too.
0: I, I'm guessing and, she had trauma in her background.
1: Oh, probably. Yeah. Um, the interesting part is I never got to know her because I was you know, never home mm-hmm. enough to discover that. Mm-hmm. But I was drinking there, smoking some pot. Um, that started probably when I was 12. Um, once I took off from home, I was already eating psychedelics, um, all types of amphetamines, just whatever I can get my hands on. And take people into that mindset. What, what are you doing? What is that? Um, amphetamines?
0: Or no, just getting- no, maybe you're just getting high. Do what, what, what what, take, take people, people go, well, he should have chosen not to do drugs. Why did he do drugs? So it, take people into what was happening for you subjectively that led to all that drug use
1: um when when you're exposed at least my take on it and i didn't realize this until i was older but when you're exposed to a lot of trauma there's a lot of feelings involved and having to wake up with me feeling the way i did or me viewing the world as i did it just wasn't a pleasant reality so doing drugs helped block that out because i got to the point where i didn't care anymore And the only way that I could stay not caring was to anesthetize myself.
0: Right. And the fact the reality is, you you did care. You cared a lot, but that was all down deep somewhere.
1: Yeah, definitely, it was it was suppressed because I think that um, considering the amount of abuse, because there was there wasn't there wasn't no spare the rot type thing in my house.
0: No, it was full full on physical abuse
1: yes i mean i'm the I'm the guy that got hit with whatever object she could get her hands on I got hit with an extension cord i um got hit with what- whatever and just to have to wake up knowing and that's that's the thing that you know was really i guess traumatic is when you know something's gonna happen and there's nothing you could do about it so drinking helped that a lot you know and then as i discovered marijuana that helped enhance the drinking mm-hmm. and so for me to suppress those emotions because crying crying wasn't sufficient a lot of times people cry for relief mm-hmm. but crying just didn't work anymore yeah. yeah and so by doing drugs that helped a lot they call that the, the silent scream yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And so after discovering how to do that, I just I just felt that you know nothing's going to change. Even the drugs didn't work after a while.
0: And and so again, just to drill into the psych, the the mechanism of drug addiction. So it's not working anymore. So you stopped, right? The drugs?
1: You, yeah. Oh no! Oh wait a minute! <laughs> glad you kept going even though it didn't work anymore? Huh? No, Imagine no, no. that. It, yeah well, I just had to find something stronger and better
0: yeah and, and and that's that's again that's one of the features of addiction is that you keep using even when you don't like it, even when it's not working it's it's all there is
1: right, right, and so after I discovered that if I physically leave that environment, then things got better because I was away from the the pressure or the stress or the drama now now granted, I added to that. You know, um, because of, and it's it's really interesting when I when I look back at it, mm-hmm. because of the the abuse or in my book I call it beatings because that's what it was. Yeah, beating. You know, and it left marks, and I was embarrassed. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of shame going on because my mother was the type of person that wherever she felt or wherever my um, my my infraction occurred. That's where the beating happens. Right. You know, I remember in seventh grade, I was in a principal's office and my mom showed up. Mm. I I got a beating in high school. And so why would I want to go to high school having to deal with, you know, actually it was junior high. I never made it to high school, but in junior high and it was embarrassing, Mm. but I couldn't go back to school. But if I didn't go to school, then I get a beating for that. Mm. And so it was just a cycle that was ongoing. And my relief to any of that was just to run away from home.
0: And and, and that's
1: what, when kids run away
0: and stay away, it's nearly always because there's abuse in the home. Some form of overt abuse, physical, sexual, physical, uh, emotional, whatever it might be. Kids don't normally leave home. But when you did, how did you survive?
1: Um, in the early days, when I was 14, I used to hang out in abandoned houses because originally I'm from Ohio. And so I would go stay in an abandoned house. Uh, back then, we used to have wooden milk crates. And I I, sm- I smile today at my adventures. Um, and so I had uh, the milk crates that I would use for furniture. But during the wintertime, I would burn the crates. And um, shoplifting wasn't hard. You know, just, just go do it. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it takes to survive. And uh, getting drugs wasn't hard. You know, um, from time to time, I would go to a friend's house. And every now and again, I would go back home. But that lasted probably a day or two. Mm-hmm. And I was off to running until uh, I was 15 and I decided to go join a carnival.
0: And, and if so, if somebody were to say – Gary likes that part of the story. What? A carnival? We'll, we'll, we'll get into it, Gary. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and if somebody were to say, how does how do drugs and result in people on the streets? How does that work? How would you characterize
1: that? How do drugs take people to the streets? Well, once you start that cycle, or once you cross, they say it's an invisible line. And once you cross that invisible line and you become addicted, and and as I say, now I know more about it, but you become physically addicted to the point where you have to use because the withdrawal symptoms was too much. Um, for me, not only that, but it was cold outside or I was lonely. I was scared. And from what I learned early on, if I drink or use drugs, then fear has gone. Mm. You know, pain has gone. Frustration. All emotions are gone. And so if I can continue to do that,
0: then everything was fine. And I, but why not uh, lay on friends' couches? Or, you know, how does drugs take you to the streets?
1: Well, once I became an addict, I really started losing friends mm. because the drugs became more important to me than anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm, I'm that person. Even when I would get high with somebody, if they got up and left the room, I would take their drugs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so who would want me around?
0: And, and so it's really because <clears throat> the, the, the streets are a symptom of how addiction causes you to lose everything
1: well the, the the streets are really interesting cuz i i was thinking about you know what is it what's it all about being homeless and it's a combination of a lot of different things mm. you know the drugs was one thing the inability to deal with my emotions was was another thing um depression anxiety um getting high and having psychosis you know all and, all and then
0: those. missing high school and not ever really having a job but but then you you got a job though then now it's carnival. Tell me about that, Gary wants yes. to hear the details. Gary's <laughs> interested in this
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, the carnival would come to town you know every year to go to your town, and so I just decided that okay, I'll go there and so initially, I started by helping them set up the rides, then they allowed me to run the rides and I could sleep underneath the ride. And so I just transitioned into that lifestyle fairly easy. And and, and, so, and
0: they paid you, or they they pay you in drugs, or do they pay you money, and then you trafficked amongst the other
1: carnies, or how'd that work? Well, they they paid me in money, uh, but um, there were some f- of it. We we got credit. <laughs> we got credit at the hot dog stand. Oh, food too. Yes, yes. And so I would eat and get half a paycheck. Uh huh. And then with that paycheck, then I would buy my drugs.
0: And, and was, were the other carnies the source of the drugs or wherever you went to town, you just find
1: it? Just it, it just came from all over the place. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. And um, because somebody had to get it into the carnies. Right, right. See,
0: it's the uncanny part about drug addiction for me. If you, it, to me, it all makes perfect sense. I, I understand addiction inside and out. But the part that I find uncanny is how dealers find addicts. Like they can, they can smell them like a, like a dog. They, they like know exactly who to go. They walk right up to the right person. And addicts, by the way, know who the dealer is. They walk right up to the right person, or who other addicts are. And uh, that's that to me is an uncanny piece of addiction.
1: <laughs> it is. It is interesting. We have we have a radar, right? It's a, it's a drug radar. <laughs>
0: it's a yeah. A, a yeah. My, my favorite story, my most uncanny story, was a, a a colleague. She was like yourself, recovering and stuff, and she told me a story once when she did a what's called a geographic you know people before they get sober will try to move away from their drugs and uh, I know the real problem here in her mind was she'd been adopted from Eastern Europe and her real problem was she had to find her roots and that will cure her addiction anything but stop using drugs and so but she had stopped she cleaned up and she thought I'm going to go back to Eastern Europe and find my roots uh, and she had a layover in London uh, of about nine hours, so she thought, "Oh, I'll go into London and go to the National Gallery." She said she hadn't been in the National Gallery thirty minutes before she was in the bathroom, in the women's room, with a male security guard slamming heroin. How do you know to go up to the guy with the billy stick, <laughs> the guy with the uniform, and go, "Come with me into the women's room," and and that guy has heroin. So to me, that was like, "Whoa that uh, that tells you." I mean, I would think the guy in the uniform you'd be last on your list, no will be last on my list. And the part that I think we're glossing over here is the confirmation of what we've all assumed about carnival workers and carnival rides. Oh, come on now. I'm sorry. As a as a parent of a young child, it just confirms every fear I've ever had about the to guy me, setting up those rides. For me and uh, Anthony, it's just the the colorfulness of it. Stop. Come on. It's just the, the, just the color of the community there. It's very uh it's a very interesting See I don't have that it's funny I don't have that reaction. It really actually draws me to it a little bit. Um so now you're sleeping under the the uh, tilter whirl or something, right? Uh yeah, it was it was the tip top. Tip top, you're sleeping under the <laughs> tip top. <laughs> and uh and uh and take keep me going forward.
1: Okay, so um now I'm a carney. They they left the town which was great cuz I finally escaped that that geographic you was talking about. Yeah. And, and so I I lived that lifestyle um by day, I'm on top of the ride, operating it. Um, periodically through the day, I go underneath the ride and get loaded. Um, at night, that was my house. That's you know, I took my showers there. That's where I lived at. And, and by the way, Gary, you you want you want the meth
0: using ride uh operator to to be on the meth you don't want them off because off they'll they'll screw things up
1: well so for, okay.
0: for the until they get psychotic you want them on the meth
1: fair <laughs> when just, they're
0: operating maybe right. maybe not when building i don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: well I, I have to confess there's been a few times i noticed a couple extra bolts laying around <laughs> but that's, <laughs> so that's, that's what i was saying, saying. <laughs> that could happen to anybody gary <laughs> at which point you stop and reassess where they go right uh, or do they get kicked under the ride uh, well, you kind of forget about them because you're often because you're you high know, doing what you're doing. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right, here we go. So we're we're go- going around on the, on the geographic uh, life of a carny.
1: Yeah. And so I'm I'm traveling from town to town, and it was it was it was heaven. I had a place to stay. I had a place to eat. I had some money in my pocket. I had drugs. I didn't have to abuse. You know, because out on the road, when you're on the streets, it's it's a doggy dog world.
0: Mm.
1: You know, and I developed you know certain skills that was necessary to make it out there i mean i could i could fight i can get high and i mean so i was i was primed for the streets yeah and so that became my norm yeah and so i did the i did the carny uh, my first year then i thought okay well they gave me a little bonus cuz carnival life only lasted through the summertime and winter you have to find your own place to stay uh huh and so I, I went back home at 15 and I thought, okay, I bought my mom, this great big old stuffed animal I had $500 cash. I go, here you go. You know, and I didn't realize that I'm trying to buy love, you know? Yeah. And she was happy to see me cause I was gone for six months. And so her reward is she, she put me in the Navy.
0: And so she put you in the Navy. How'd she pull she, that
1: off? You know, I was 15 too. Oof. And, and I didn't find out until probably I don't know. I was fifty-five years old when I finally got my um my what was it my my navy discharge papers. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out the reason why I got out of the navy because only only lasted like a winter time. I didn't even get through boot camp. And the reason why they let me out under an honorable discharge because they discovered I was only fifteen.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow.
1: And, and plus, the Navy wouldn't let me get high. I mean, that just was not on their
0: on their thing.
1: And so I got out the Navy and took off, came back, went to the carnival, and I resumed the carny life for years to go. How, how long were you in the, the Navy? I was in the Navy probably, I didn't make it out of boot camp, so probably four to five weeks.
0: Oh, quick. I see. Okay, got it. Got it. And and that did that help you at all, or were you rebelling against the whole Navy experience?
1: Oh, I I, I rebel. Yeah, I mean, God bless the U.S. forces, but at 15, oh, yeah, you know, I yeah. mean, I just I just didn't want it.
0: There's there's a guy named Rob Henderson that uh, Adam and I are interested in. He's a he's a social psychology PhD student in Cambridge, and he. Had a story not unlike yours, uh, and he ended up in the Army, and it straightened him out. He was an adult when he went to the Army, and now he's a Ph.D. student. But it, it's interesting. I'm interested in these stories of turnaround because uh, we need to bottle them. But now – so you went back to the carny. Uh How long were you back
1: working the carnival? Um, on and off until I was 18. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd go out in the summertime, come back, live in abandoned houses through the wintertime, Things of that nature. Then at 18, my friend, um, because I'm from Ohio originally, and my friend asked me, it's like, let's go to California. Mm. Well, I didn't have nothing else going on. So I'm like, okay. And so we loaded up my duffel bag with everything I owned and jumped in this car and and a dog that threw up in the backseat, and we drove to California. This was during the winter? Um, We came out here. I think it was during the summertime. So, So you decided no more carnival? Yeah, well, he had a better
0: idea. California, and was there, What did anything special go into that thinking?
1: Well, I, I remember watching the Beverly Hillbillies on TV, <laughs> <laughs> and and so I thought, you know, like that theme song, California's the place you ought to be. Yeah, okay, fair but, enough. Yeah, and so I'm like, okay, that's a good idea.
0: All right, and, and did you guys keep using across the country?
1: Oh, of course, that yeah. was mandatory.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, and you get here, and then what happens?
1: <laughs> well, California, it was... When we when we're driving here, I was excited. You know, like, yeah, I'm gonna go see Hollywood, I'm gonna meet famous people, you know. I'm I'm gonna live the California lifestyle. And we drove and I seen the Hollywood sign in, I seen the mansions, like, yeah, this is gonna be great. You know, then we kept going, I seen big houses, swimming pools, this is gonna be fine. Then the neighborhoods changed. And next thing I know, I'm in Linwood. And that's not what I seen on a Beverly Hillbillies. No, they didn't
0: show you Linwood. <laughs> it's shocking. They <laughs> <laughs>
1: didn't. So that was my Whoa. first dose of California.
0: And and what was Linwood where you could purchase drugs or is that where you just stopped driving or we found a house to stay in how how that work?
1: Um he had a he had a relative out here a brother okay. that stayed in that stayed in the studio. Got it. Got it. And um so we all crammed in the studio and I was the odd man out and so by then I've already discovered the park in Linwood, the gang members drugs, and so I just continued on doing what I was doing but his his brother didn't want me behaving that way because i'm 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 like a dr Jekyll mr hyde mm. you know i'm I'm a nice guy, I mean well, but add drugs into me yeah i'm I'm completely different
0: I bet well and especially the stimulants make you grandiose and paranoid and agitated and and violent that's what stimulants do.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so um, I, I got booted out of his house. I stayed at the park, um, hung out there for for a while, um, a couple abandoned houses. And then um, somebody was gracious enough to give me a job at a, at a restaurant, a fast food restaurant. And so I was working there. Uh, food was free. Um, got a little paycheck. Everything was great. But then they moved me over to um, working at the cash register. And, you know, I'm Uh I'm a thief. Uh Yeah. Uh And so the till got short. The environment got hot. So it was time for me to go.
0: Mm. How much did you steal?
1: As much as I could. <laughs> Do we know what it was? How much that was? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it uh, was. It was enough to keep my habit going.
0: Right. And is what? What was your primary drug at that, that point?
1: Uh, back then, I was smoking sherm, uh, cocaine because the mailman was delivering it. Um, wow. Yeah, it was. Linwood's nice. <laughs> Woo.
0: So PCP essentially, and uh, and or angel dust it was actually angel dust right a little bit different
1: yeah it's a little bit different um, it was just all I know is it was in a bottle and um, you get your cigarette you dip it in it mm-hmm. you smoke it you hallucinate really bad mm-hmm. and um, when you come down you just do it again
0: and then cocaine Any? did you head over to meth at any point uh, not at this point in my life okay and, and so keep going
1: are, are you trafficking drugs at this point um yeah, I had I had my my little hustle. Okay. I mean, all my life I wanted to be a, you know, drug dealer and it's funny cuz what I do for a living now. But I um so I was I was selling a little bit, um doing a lot. The heat was on, so I I went from um that one restaurant cuz it was a franchise and I went to the one in um Costa Mesa. Oh, you went to Costa Mesa? Interesting. Yes.
0: That must have been better, a little bit.
1: It it was better. Um, nobody knew me because I tend to destroy environments, and so uh, I went to Costa Mesa. I was a stranger there, and Costa Mesa was interesting because back in the days, it's it's really funny. Um, I didn't realize it, but in Costa Mesa back then, there was only four black people in the whole town. Oh really?
0: Oh my god! That's, that's yeah. Oh my god! Did that? Did they uh, treat you poorly?
1: Um, the police did, oh. but I I I. I I invited it uh. towards the end.
0: And when you say you wanted to be a drug dealer, take take me into that mindset because that, that's another thing that I always find uncanny when people say I wanted to be a gangster, I want to be a drug dealer. Is that, is that a sort of a way to empower yourself against society when it's been so horrible to you?
1: Um, when I was younger, all my role models did that. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to be like them. I mean, they had stuff. I I was poor. I didn't have anything. Right. But those guys had stuff. Right, right. And so if I could do what they did, then I would get, you know, things like that. But unfortunately, I'm one of those drug dealers that have to sample my supply before I sure. sell it to make sure that it's worth selling. Right. Got it. And yeah. then once the craving kicks off, then I'm just, you know, I wasn't very good at it. It's, <laughs> it's selling. So, so now take us forward from Costa Mesa. So I'm in Costa Mesa. I'm at this restaurant i 'm um, dabbling or selling cocaine, and um, I, I moved up from you know flipping burgers to the registers the The guy at the time uh, was the manager there, and he liked coke. I knew where to get it. Uh, we became best buddies. He let me be his roommate. Um, he promoted me from working one register to being a shift manager, so I had access to four registers Mm-mm. and so I got to the point where I was selling cocaine out the drive through window Woo.
0: What which is that is that fast food restaurant still there? Yes. Where is it? Do you mind? <laughs> Do you mind? I'm just curious. Be curious? Harbor and Wilson. Harbor and Wilson. I can picture the area. Is that like a Oh, I know exactly. Is what that, that a that Taco is. Bell? Um, close right across the street. Del Taco. It's Del Taco.
1: It's not. It's not Del <laughs> no, Taco. No. Wendy's. <laughs> Whatever. Right there. Okay. A yeah. Whole, it's, there's a whole bunch of them right there. Yeah. Used to be, I think there used to be a clown or something at one point in time. That's so funny. That came out of a box. But um. <laughs> but at one point in time, hey, Anthony to, took that one down though. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so um. I'm there and everything's doing good. I mean, you pull up to the drive through, you yell into the speaker. Hey, give me a, give me a, give me a burger with extra sauce. And yeah. you drive out with a bag and in yeah. a bag. Yeah. Yeah. And so that went well, but I'm living with this, this manager. And again, I'm that kind of person that if I'm, if I'm with you and we're doing drugs and you get up and leave the room, I'm going to do your drugs. Sure. Well, in this particular case that happened and he came back and he's like, well, what happened to the drugs? Now my best thinking was, well, I don't know, but I'll help you find it. And if we can find out who took it, then we're going to deal with them. There's only me and <laughs> right, him, right? Right. And so I got, um, I got terminated from that place, but I've already established my 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 location. And so I'm standing at the corner of Harbor and Wilson, and that's when I got my first arrest. Because again, I was the there was only four black people in town, but there was only one out at two o'clock in the morning
0: got it
1: and my best disguise <laughs> was i tried to camouflage myself by wearing a dare t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> i love it yeah well it didn't work really no, well but it
0: didn't <laughs> no.
1: and so and so i got arrested there and oh. i went to the county jail and i got out the county jail and i went back to harbour and wilson um and got back into dealing and i got arrested again and that's when they first sent me to prison and I, i'm so used to, i'm so used to being out in the streets and not having anything prison was a bonus right i mean there's a place to 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 sleep you got food to eat yeah You you can do what you want to do yeah and so that wasn't nothing. So I got out uh, my first time in prison. I got out and I went back to Harvard and Wilson and started all over again. Well, I got busted again, and they sent me back to prison. Now I'm sitting in prison thinking, well, there's a problem. There's there's something that's not right. And so I thought, okay, well, the problem is I'm not really hiding my stash all that well.
0: Right. I need to do a different corner.
1: Well, well, not yet, but. I decided I'm going to put it in a different location on my body so I ah. put it in my pocket. Ah, <laughs> I see. And I went back to Harbor and Wilson and I got busted again. They sent me to prison and and I'm you know and you well. know,
0: and you know now the way the laws are, all you have to do is adjust the amount you're trafficking and it's a uh, it's
1: a misdemeanor. It's a, it's a citation. Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm not addicted now because I'd probably be dead. And right. I think that, that you the, should know
0: that's what they're doing. They're killing drug addicts in California with these laws, killing them actively. It's a murder, murdering. And, and uh, we'll talk about that at the end. Next up, our friends at Magnesium Breakthrough. Of course, magnesium, the one mineral you should be worried about. It's the body's master mineral, powerful in over 300 reactions, Even digestion influenced by magnesium. And there are big problems here. Magnesium has been largely missing from the U.S. soil since the 1950s, which explains why up to 80% of the population may be deficient. And most supplements contain one or two forms when in reality there are seven forms. I'm excited, of course, to remind you again about our friends at Magnesium Breakthrough, the ultimate magnesium supplement. Easily the best out there. And I'm even more excited that it's back in stock. Magnesium Breakthrough has been selling faster than the company. Buy optimizers has been able to keep up with. It's already sold out a few times due to supply shortages. And with everything going on in the world, of course, supply chain gets interrupted. And it could sell out again very soon. The Dr. Drew podcast team was able to arrange for some stock to be set aside for our audience. I guarantee it is the best deal available on this product. With volume discounts combined with our custom 10% coupon code that is DrDrew10, you can save up to 40 percent off select packages of magnesium breakthrough amazing value and the deal is only available at this website mag breakthrough m-a-g-b-r-e-a-k-t-h-r-o-u-g-h dot com slash drew you won't find that deal on amazon or anywhere on the company's website even it is exclusively for our podcast listeners and only while supplies last They have completely revamped the checkout process, so it's friendly, easy. Magnesium Breakthrough, the most effective magnesium supplement. Say goodbye to having to buy multiple bottles of magnesium to get the complete dose. Go to magbreakthrough.com, T-H-R-O-U-G-H, through magbreakthrough.com, slash Drew, and use coupon code DR DRW10, Dr. Drew 10, and you will save up to 40% off select packages to get the most full-spectrum and effective magnesium product out there. That, that's my problem is the laws here are leading to – we're losing four a day in L.A. County. You were in Orange County. I don't know what the numbers are there. L.A. County, four a day, dead drug addiction because of citation for shoplifting, citation for drug use, citation for drug trafficking. It's on. It's on.
1: So go ahead. So now you're – So you're, um, you're, I'm in prison. Um, I think this is my second time. And I'm, I'm, I'm starting to give this some serious thought. You know, there's a problem. Why am I in prison? And so I figured, well, the problem was I put the drugs in my pocket. So this time I need to put them in my sock. Uh And so I went back to Harbor and Wilson and I got busted again. And they sent me to another prison and I'm sitting in that prison. And each time I'm going to prison, my time is getting longer and longer. I'm sure. And so, but I always tell people I didn't get arrested; I got rescued because I think those those stints in prison is what gave me enough, you know, physical sobriety to heal my body.
0: Right. That's a common thing that when people lose their free, the loss is what gets people attention in addiction, and you have to yes. low, and you have to wake up from the addiction. Your brain has to like clear up. So losing your freedom, losing your kids, losing your health, losing your loved ones, and then some time where you can be aware, which is away from the drugs. That's it. That's what gets people to sort of wake up. But here you are. So you start waking up
1: and? And I thought, maybe if I keep the drugs in my hand, I can throw them when the police come. And so I went back to Harper and Wilson, and um, I got so high I forgot the drugs was in my hand. And, and for anybody listening,
0: people are like, like, well, how is this possible? It, when an, an, addict, an addict's brain, and cocaine is the purest example of of addiction without withdrawal and dependency. There's no really significant withdrawal from cocaine. It's just the the desire to use supersedes all other motivational desires we have. And thus, when he goes to prison, when Anthony goes to prison, anything but contemplate not doing drugs, literally anything but that thought. Your brain won't let you have the thought that I need to stop doing drugs. It it just – that's the nature of addiction
1: yeah and it' and and that that is so true. I thought about doing push ups I thought about you know lifting weights, you know reading books, and you know coming up with a better idea you know and it, so it,
0: it, i I literally see people change careers, go into years of psychoanalysis, anything but stop drinking or stop using <laughs> It's really something, mm-hmm. but go ahead now so now you're thinking and
1: and so I decided that I know what the problem is. The the problem was Harbor and Wilson, right? And so this time I got out and I went one block south to Harbor and Victoria, and I got busted again.
0: Did your did your I'm just curious. Did your clientele find you at Harbor Victoria?
1: Oh yeah, I was yeah. I was known. I was, yeah. and that's another thing about being out in the streets. Once you establish as being somebody, then you kind of feel like you're you're something.
0: That's your identity. You know? that's your se- yeah. sense of self. Yeah crazy yeah
1: and so um i got out and i got arrested by the same police officer you know that's arrested me these numerous times and i didn't realize that police officers are assigned locations that's their b and so we kind of got to know each other you know (laughs) um in the beginning i used to run towards the end i'd walk toward him (laughs) that's something i was i was done it's fantastic
0: it's fantastic
1: yeah, because I just got to the point, Doctor Drew, where it's like, who cares? Right. You know, I mean, what's the worst that can happen to me that hasn't happened?
0: Right, and the you get a meal and a cot.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You know, but but this time he switched it up. He, the police officer asked me if I wanted some help. Do you and think?
0: He, do you think it's possible he'd asked you before that you just weren't ready to hear it?
1: It's it's a possibility. But I for some reason I was ready to hear it.
0: Yeah. So that you're you were sick know, and, you're really sick and tired.
1: I was I was sick and tired of being tired and sick. Yeah. And so, you know, when he asked if I wanted some help, I said, Yeah. Can we find Anthony
0: we, we can find that guy?
1: Um, you know what? When we did my book launch, they found him. Oh. And they gave me his phone number because part of my recovery is to make amends to everybody well, of and everything. Of course. And I've already made amends to the police department. I made amends to the city, and he's one person that um, I, I really—I'm mean, actually—I did make amends to him. I, w- I went down to the police station and told him I apologized for being a nuisance. You know.
0: And what did what, what he say?
1: He he said, you know, he understood.
0: Did he remember you? Know, you? He, did he remember? Could he tell? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, how could you forget? It? I'm, I'm well, like the only black guy. Well, that's but you're you're
0: so, uh, maybe, but you're so you're so different. I'm sure than you were then. You know what I mean? I bet you'd be probably unrecognizable. I, well, I've seen the pictures. I've seen in your book the pictures.
1: Hmm. So, yeah. Well, now because I think back then I was maybe two years sober. I'm, I'm almost 21 years now. Oh wow! But the person I am and what I'm doing now is completely different than what I did 19 years ago. I think you
0: ought to still ought to make another contact with him. I think he. I think he'd make his day or month but but you know and i also want people to know so the picture of you in the book from uh park bench to park avenue is you hustling like need food needs sleep homeless please help me veteran whatever what should people do when they see homeless people with that sign
1: well i think first of all have a mindset that this is a person yeah that i think that starts right there because i was um I was with someone driving down the street. Somebody that was homeless, actually. I mean, they they lived with somebody, and I was going to stop and say hi to a person that had a sign. And this person, like, no, don't don't do that. They're dangerous. I'm like, you're homeless and you're saying this. So I think a mindset is number one. Um, number two, if it's safe, don't be afraid to talk to them. You know, if it's a safe environment. If it's a safe environment, yeah. if you got a couple of dollars, give it to them. It doesn't matter what they're going to use the money for. Who knows? If, if they use the money to get high, maybe that might be a way to find a bottom that they need to say I had enough.
0: Uh-huh. So that's a different p- point of view than I'm know i used to hearing. Usually the people are saying, don't give food, don't give anything, you know, induce a bottom. But you're saying, don't let them die, give them whatever, and let them get to the bottom naturally.
1: Yeah, because that's the only way. I mean, as for me, that's the only way I was going to change it if except, I hit the bottom. Except these days, they don't pick them up. They, the police don't do anything with them.
0: They don't do anything. They don't even interact with law enforcement. So it, it's, it's, it worries me that we're committing them to die.
1: Well, maybe I'm, maybe what I'm doing right now is, is at the right time. You
0: know? Yeah. I, I hear you. And so, all right, so now this cop says you want some help. What do you say?
1: I, I, told, him, I told him, yeah. And so when I – they put me in jail for 60 days to detox me and um, – Probably Isn't that interesting, day, you know,
0: 60 day detox. Now, if you go to a psychiatric hospital, you get three days,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? I was I was surprised because normally I get like four or five years, oh, you know, uh-huh. but um, it was 60 days and about day 45, I started getting an idea that, you know, this treatment center would be a great cover up to do what I do. Good hustle. Yeah. I mean, who's going to think somebody's selling drugs out of a treatment center? Right.
0: No one's ever tried that before
1: no (laughs) no but um that that was my plan and when it was time for me to get released i thought they were just gonna let me out to walk to the treatment center where i can pick up on the way there Mm. well lo and behold somebody from the treatment center came and picked me up directly at the door yeah and this lady was nice to me and that's the thing i think that's the thing that started making a difference because i'll never forget she asked me if i wanted a cigarette and i know a lot of people say well smoking is bad well you know what? Being nice to somebody, no matter in what form, means a lot. And when she asked me if I wanted a cigarette, I'm like, "What is this?" Because I lived so many years not trusting people, and people not trusting me. I mean, if somebody, if somebody out there in the streets where I was from or where what I was doing, if somebody said, "Hey, you want a cigarette?" You know something's going on.
0: So it's a quid quid pro quo, right? Yeah
1: but this lady seemed genuine and she was smiling and you know she just she was cool yeah and, and so I, and
0: you you've mentioned you, so that when i've heard your story before you always mentioned the cop and then this woman offering the cigarette and that moment of contact around the 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 communion like she communed with you and it's almost like she's offering you a wafer you know like she's take take this um what do the catholics call it uh, help me gary uh, when the body of christ uh, communion, communion, it's communion yeah, yeah. Eucharist. It, it's like it's like almost some sort of a connection that uh, is well beyond the the two human beings in that moment. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's and you know it's it's interesting because there's there's a little part I missed at, at that at, somewhere in time I start working at a at a psych hospital. Oh, you know? what,
0: what? While you're in treatment, or
1: oh no, before treatment.
0: What while you
1: were using? Yeah, how did you manage? That? How did you get interested? In how did you manage that? I was um. I went to work as a janitor. They had a contracted company. I see. I see. Okay. And so I was working there as a janitor, and all was all was okay. I mean, I was I was a functioning addict. Yeah, yeah. You know. And then I got a phone call one day from my brother that said, "Hey, you know, mom is dying." Mm. You know, because even though she got shot in the head when I was nine, she still lived. So I thought she was indestructible. Yeah. And so when he called and said, Mom's dying, my first thing is, like, how did you even get a hold of me? Uh. Because I haven't heard from my family since I was 18, and this was years later. And so I talked to her on the phone, and you can hear it. You know, she's like, I'm dying. Mm. And I'm like, okay. You know, and I had some pinup childhood issues. No kidding. I didn't. You know, to be honest with you, and it sounds sad to say, it didn't matter to me if she lived or died. It didn't matter to me if anybody lived or died. I didn't,
0: but I it, didn't care. If I, but it sounded huh? like, but it sounded like that still caught your attention. That that's how
1: you it, felt. It did. It, it, yeah. it did. And in, but in a weird way, that was sort of traumatic for you. It, it, it was weird, but I was yeah. able to stay high. Yeah. But then three days later, when I got the phone call that said "Mom is dead," that is when things just went south. Mm. That's when I didn't care about nothing anymore, mm-hmm. you know, and that's when I started getting arrested a lot, yeah. and then that led up to you know me going into this treatment center
0: and and this woman you know, offering you a cigarette i i I've noticed that you've you've got along your journey you had people being nice to you i mean the the guy that gave you the the two food restaurant je- managers were nice to you, right? the one at the fast food place and then the guy down at costa mesa they were they were nice
1: to you. How was that different? Well, the um, the one in Costa Mesa was a quid pro quo. I could get the cocaine,
0: and you you knew that you just instinctively knew that. Oh, of course, right away. And then the other one, the first
1: one, Uh, the first one, um, I didn't think about it because I was I was loaded, and it was just a job. Yeah, and and so I think along the lines, a lot of people were nice to me, but I didn't pay attention to the niceness because. In my head, how can I take advantage of this situation?
0: And you were too high too. I mean, I'll, I'll,
1: definitely. so
0: one of the keys is the reason this woman was able to commune with you is you'd been absent for sixty days. Yes. Were you usually using in prison prior to that?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So did this time you not use? I did not I didn't I was in the county, I didn't make it to prison yet. Okay. If if I think if I'd have went to prison, I probably would have done the same thing I've always been doing. Start using again. Right.
0: Yeah. So, but, so really, to me, that that's the mo- that's the thing. You had a long enough period of time without drugs to be able to right. have reality kind of creep in.
1: Yeah, and so um, after the cigarette, she invited me out for Chinese food, and I'm really like, well, what's going on here? <laughs> you know. And then she took me to this to this recovery center, and it was an apartment complex. And she said, "Do me a favor. If you're going to leave, don't jump over the fence. Just walk out the gate." Mm. And I'm like. You trust me? Mm. You know? And she's like, why not? And that was a huge turning point for me. You know, somebody actually said they trust me. From, let, let me ask you something as a clinician now.
0: Would you have trusted you at that moment? At that moment? If you were if yes. you were that woman, if you're that woman. Because I, I, I don't think I could I don't think I could have done that. That's a pretty oh, heavy and, uh, that's a pretty heavy move for her to make. You know what I mean? It's a very risky move.
1: I think because right now I, I, I do it a lot because I understand what that means. Okay. You know. I, I don't but, have I
0: don't have that judgment. I, I can't tell whether it's somebody I should trust or not. I just default to maybe the, <laughs> maybe maybe the year I'll trust you. But go ahead, uh, keep going.
1: And and so they they took me to this treatment center and I was surrounded by people in recovery. Yeah. And it was it was like dark versus light. Yeah. You know, and I was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I, I, again, I come from years of you know, might makes right. Um, if 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 I want something, I'm taking it. Mm. You know, what is that word? You want me to say please? Mm. Really? Mm. Thank you? Really? You know? But here I'm having all these people going, "Hey, how are you?" You know, they they want to hug me, and I'm like, "I'm from prison. You don't <laughs> hug me." Oh, but I was I was in that environment and. After a while, I remember probably six months in, I was in a I was in a meeting because I, people gravitated around me because I was the hip slick and cool guy. Mm. You know, I was I was the angry person. I was the person that went to prison. It's like, ooh, look at him, yeah, you know. Yeah. And but after a while, I, I I developed three friends that was doing the right thing, and I told everybody there, and I go, you know what? This scares me, but I have to tell you that. I'm going to actually try to do the right thing. And I can't hang out with you guys doing the wrong thing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so I start going to 12-step meetings. Um, <laughs> I, I remember my first meeting I went to, because I, when I go to prison, I read books. I mean, that's what I do. You know, and also pick up a Bible too. But um, I, I, I know how to read a book. And I read all of the different writers, different authors. And so I read the um, In the 12 step program, they have the big book, and I read it like it was a novel. Mm. So I knew everything in it, and I went to my first meeting, and I thought I knew what I was doing. I raised my hand and, you know, call myself an alcoholic. And, you know, then I proceeded to tell them this treatment center is mistreating me.
0: <laughs> it, I laugh you know? because that's, that's every addict's position
1: at the beginning, <laughs> the negativity. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't fair. I had to do chores. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to make up my bed, you know. <laughs> wash dishes I mean a person I'm, I come from being homeless don't you know I I don't do this but they make me do it
0: and so how'd the room respond
1: oh my god um, after
0: uh-huh.
1: after I said that everybody clapped
0: right thanks Anthony you know, next
1: <laughs> yeah well the next guy stood up he goes my name is Pete I'm an alcoholic and he looked at me and he called me a whiny little and then he cussed me out you know and he and he hurt my feelings. <laughs> I love recovery. It's such yeah. a great story. And then ask and he to be was he sponsors. an old was
0: was he a new oh was he an old timer?
1: Um, he's been around probably I don't know four or five years. Yeah, he was so, older than me. Yeah,
0: and and you asked him to be your sponsor. Yeah, that's pretty bold.
1: I mean, because it's uh, it's it, it's it's interesting because all my life I've been I've been running my own show. Yeah, and they would tell me your best thinking got you here. Yeah. You know, and so I said, okay, you know, why not do this thing? And I asked him to be my sponsor and he, and he said, okay. And then he, he, he made me do things I didn't realize was important, like wash ashtrays, you know, and then the obviously I got, I got good. Then I had to wash the coffee cups, Yeah. you know, yeah. and what that did was that got me involved in that community because people started to know me. Yeah. And so that was my life. I started working at steps. I started um, starting to feel good. Once I started feeling good, I started reacting towards life different. Uh, the treatment center didn't mistreat me anymore. Actually, I was in a welcomed en- environment. And so um, all was well for 18 months. And then I ran into um, my, my connection's wife crossing the street to get donuts. And she said he was having problems. And so I went down. Since I had 18 months of sobriety, I could save him.
0: Mm-mm.
1: So I went to his house, and there was actually a meth lab there. And, you know, I started remembering how much fun I missed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there was wild women and debauchery and just all that stuff. And here I'm I'm living in the life, and, like, I'm working telemarketing. I'm going to 12-step meetings, and I have yeah. to go home. And here people were just, like, out of control. I mean, bright lights and action. And I wanted some of that. How'd that go? <laughs> I took that. <laughs> but I got exactly what I wanted. <laughs> How long did I say? A, It probably took a couple days <laughs> to <laughs> take you down, right? Yeah. Oh, I went down quick. Yeah, You know, but, um, then I, I was much wiser because I had 18 months. Well, I had 18 months of sobriety. Yeah. Uh, once I realized. Everything came back. I mean, yeah. getting back into dealing. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to go to a 12-step meeting when you're under the influence. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really hard. It's hard to try to even go to a recovery home when you're under the influence because they do urine tests and everything yeah. and sure. you know, having to duck and dodge that. So I just said, you know what? I ain't doing this no more. And so I um, started selling drugs again, and I wasn't going nowhere near harbor anything. And so I got busted in Riverside instead. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I remember sitting in that jail. And there, there's an expression, a head full of AA and a belly full of booze don't mix. Mm-hmm. A, a head full of AA and a body saturated with methamphetamine will drive you insane. <laughs> I can see, that. I can it, see it, that. It will. Yeah, I get because that. Yeah, because all I kept thinking about was those slogans over and over, and my head would shut off. Yeah. yeah. And so I I did what I normally do when the heat's on. And I remember um, it was March 28th. I I actually cried out because at that point in time, I always had a a God that was in a rescue business. Like, God, please help me, or God, please do this. And so I cried out. I was like, God, I can't take this no more. Help me. And that was March 28th. I got arrested March 29th, 1999. Wow. And that was your sober date that's my sobriety date Have't had a drink or drug since then? congratulations my friend and and
0: take us forward a little bit professionally then I want to go back and ask some treatment questions so you obviously did more than just sobriety
1: yes i um I got sober I got out um I started out with an eighth eighth grade education um I went to meetings and got some really good support. I started going to school um, i I made um And that's when, at that period of time, I actually got a conscious contact with my higher power, which was totally cool. You know, I actually see God now as a friend instead of a rescuer. But I got that contact. I started going to school. um, And I started getting things completed. And so I continued to go to school. And next thing you know, I got um, my license as a psych tech. I got a associate's degree. I decided to continue going to school. I got um, my RN license. You know, I continue to go to school. I got my bachelor's license. Uh, I continue, you know, and so I just kept doing what's in front of me to the best of my ability. In the meantime, because one of the, I guess, upside of down of doing math is you're geared toward doing things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so mentally, my body or I, I haven't figured it out. Something. I think that's. Your, I think
0: that's more your trauma stuff. Because yeah, there's a sort of a running phase of trauma. People that have traumatized, they keep running, 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 and that, and you can use that, which you've done, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And so uh, I picked up a bunch of certificates. I picked up licenses. Um, I started building a business. I mean, just all kinds of things just started to unfold. You know, I start now, getting
0: now. Tell them what you're doing.
1: Uh, right now, I'm currently the director of nursing services at a psychiatric hospital. I'm also a uh, professor at a college. Gary, how about that? Right. I am. Um, right?
0: Miraculous. It's yeah. Super inspired. Well, this is the miracle of recovery. This is it. And uh, keep going, my friend.
1: Yeah, I, um, I own a small corporation. I recently published a book, and I just recently purchased Brown Manor to um, give to the homeless people. We'll talk about that in a second. This, this is. I saw a couple things like
0: this happen early in my career. And and I'd never been exposed to drug the, the field of drug treatment. I was doing detoxes all the time on drug addicts, and then patting them on the back and sending them out the door after five days. And I saw this happen a couple of times. And I was like, "What? What? What the hell? What is that? I want to be a part of helping people do that." So that's why I'm an abstinence. That's why I got interested in abstinence based treatment because you can't do this without abstinence treatment. You can kind of limp into something and you can survive with harm avoidance, but you're not Anthony Howard Brown without without abstinence and full recovery. So anyway, that, that to me was the part that made me want to be a part of the treatment world. So you're now running a program. Uh, any uh, insights you want to share with us uh, about homelessness that you've learned from being a, what shall we say, a subject and now being someone uh, offering care for those?
1: <laughs> um, I'm not just a client, I'm the president. Yeah. You mean? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, homelessness it homelessness is um it's not just one thing. It's it's a combination of several different factors. You know, it's not only um the financial thing, sometimes it's substance abuse, sometimes it's mental illness. Um sometimes it's it's behavioral where you become part of that environment. And I think that's interesting because when you get in an environment where you only have a selective amount of choices, that's all you get to choose from. And so um, when you take all of those things into consideration and then recovery itself comes with a bunch of different um, facets of it. I mean, there's there's physical recovery, there's uh, mental recovery, there's emotional recovery, there's interpersonal recovery, there's spiritual recovery, all of those things. And then God knows how many different mental issues can occur. Anxiety, depression, the combination.
0: And And by the way, what the drugs do to your brain that you got to treat oh, yeah. afterwards and stuff. But like, but, but to me, the, the real issue is trauma, right? Uh, and and when we treat the trauma and how we treat the trauma. Do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, I think um, what's what's really good, if people can get down to that point and address that core – then everything else will pretty much come into play. But getting back to that core, because I had to look at the trauma. I had to face that reality. And I know I had a sponsor once. I used to tell him, it's like, I have abandonment issues. And he had to tell me, it's like, dude, adults can't be abandoned, first of all. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I had to come to realization, and I had to... Physically, put everything that I've been through as far as emotionally I can take it on a piece of paper. And each time I review it, I would go one step back into the point where I realized the reason why I did what I did is because I had to prove to somebody that I was better than who I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Because the message I got from childhood was no matter how much you try, you still ain't good. And so much
0: of that is intergenerational, and and for some reason that's a conversation we don't seem to be able to have in this country. What do we do with that?
1: Well, we first we have to make people aware that it's even there because yeah. we're we're in so much denial uh, that is pathetic, yeah. and we have to let people know that it's safe to look into that closet because fear keeps people away, and, and for anger. those,
0: and anger, yeah. yeah. And,
1: I was I guess I was fortunate that I got to do this type of therapy on myself because I couldn't afford uh, a therapist. Wow. Nowadays, there's there's help all over the place. Right. It's just once you develop a mindset that, oh, I'm OK, I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. Nobody wants to peel that onion. Right. They don't because it's brutal.
0: Well, and, it's, and your and your brain fights you. It really doesn't want you to do it. Forget you don't want to because it's brutal. Your brain doesn't let you.
1: Right. Well, it's, it's survival. Your equal yeah. has to survive. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and so now tell us about Brown Manor. What do you want to do there? And what do you want people to do to support you?
1: Well, Brown Manor is a mansion that I purchased. <laughs> um, it, was, um, it was built in 1916. And I decided that I want to give it to homeless people. I mean, because I I come to realize, Dr. Drew, that when I die, none of this stuff is going with me, you know? And so what can I do to help somebody else? And so I purchased this mansion and I got it fairly cheap. And I didn't realize that it's going to cost like a bunch of money (laughs) to 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 get it done. Yeah. Right. But I'm working two jobs, but that still isn't sufficient. So if people want to donate to Brown Manor, that would be fine. Uh, the proceeds from my book all goes there. Or if somebody wants me to come and do a workshop, a lecture, a seminar, I'm all for it. I mean, literally, I do work for food. I will work, you know. Yeah. And our model of Brown Manor is we're, we're not a handout, you know. We, we don't want a handout. We want a handout. So it's
0: go to the GoFundMe and search Brown Manor. Is that how you participate? Yes. And how, mm-hmm. how do you want people to get in touch with you if they want you to do something for them? I have a feeling um, people they to go, come after you, so
1: uh, they can go to um anthonyhowardbrown.com yeah, uh, that's my website, and then just you know it'll say contact Anthony's yeah you know, contact me and yeah. I'm more than before know, I forget, okay. i got to
0: ask you something. You come onto our stream one, once in a while we do over at dr Drew Doc, or, or youtube slash dr. Drew, and sometimes you're on as Anthony Brown and sometimes Anthony Howard Brown. are they both you? They're both me. Okay, because I, hey. I, I address you as though it's you, and I'm never sure. Is that
1: Which one is Anthony? Yeah, one one I'm approaching from, I've seen you on YouTube, and I All started right. going in from there, and the other one I see you on Facebook. Got it. But there's something that you said that had a huge impact on me, and it was fascinating, because I don't know if you, if you realize it, but one time I called in, and I go, hey, it's Anthony the homeless guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and you said... Why don't you say you're Anthony's director of Nursing? right That is profound.
0: I mean it, you gave me chills. I mean it with the deepest sense of love mm-hmm. I really I really mean it, and it was it's funny. it was important to me too.
1: yeah that that made an impact, and the same thing when we're dealing with people who are out in the streets, you know, approach them. As if, like, there's somebody. Because the way I I am today, nobody would have known. I mean, I made it through my whole career without nobody knowing where I came from. But I decided that house and helping out this population was so important that I literally exposed
0: myself to the world. Well, we need you. We need you, my friend. I mean, it didn't take me but two seconds. I saw The reason, Gary, I got involved with Anthony is I saw him do an interview on the, with one of my Fox 11 colleagues. I've been doing a show every night on Fox 11 here locally in Los Angeles, and it's just something I've done through the coronavirus to try to help make sense of what's going on here in Los Angeles, which needs a lot of help. And uh, Christine Devine was interviewing you, and... I, I saw a 90-second interview, and I knew immediately who what was going on here. Well, that's all it took for me, so I'm not surprised. I yeah. mean, you, just, you don't have to be exposed to Anthony for very long yeah, to realize yeah. that he's special and there's a lot but, there. But, but when he, he just sketched his story, and I was like, oh, I know what this is, and the world needs to understand the journey. So I appreciate it, Anthony. Thank you for sharing it with us. Uh, I do believe it will have impact, uh, in addition, of course, Brown Manor will as well, and I look forward to seeing a day that there are brown manners, because uh, why not, right?
1: Yeah, well, it's, it's going to happen. I have so much faith and belief that it's going to happen. And the, the funny part is, because sometimes, like I said, I have this conscious contact with my higher power. And sometimes I'm sitting there going, God, because I mean, I'm working two jobs and everything goes there. I live in California. It's not cheap, you know. And I'm always... Well, God, I'm tired, you know, and God is like, "Well, I'm not," you know. And, and he's got, so he's got,
0: keep... hey, he's got plans for you, man. He's got ideas. Oh man, <laughs> so, and, and, sorry, and, sorry that you're tired. <laughs> and and yeah, I know. And if any of you are um, struck, I will let me sort of looking back in this conversation we we just had. I don't, I don't care if this jumped out at you all, but you'll notice that Anthony and I laughed a lot about some of the behaviors, and that's an important part of dealing with addiction. Because people in their disease, they're hysterical. They're hysterical. It's not funny when they're in it so much and when you're trying to get them out. But when you really look at the behavior, it's just like, oh, my God, come on now, right? And so it, it's actually healthy to laugh and, and uh, sort of uh, – it's not laugh in the sense of being pejorative. It's just laughing in the sense of he- shaking your head like, wow, humans are so interesting. <laughs> and look at that. <laughs> look at that. So uh Anthony, thanks again and uh you and i 'll uh, you know get ready to talk to some of the people i 'm sending your way and uh, I, I just I really want to do stuff with you, my friend and i uh, hope hope you have time for it and I hope you um benefit uh, personally from the experience of sharing the story because um, I guarantee you it 's going to help others
1: okay, well, thank you I appreciate that
0: all right, and then all the while, and let me just one more thing. Director of nursing at a psychiatric hospital is a no-bullshit job. <laughs> How he has time even to talk to me right now, believe me, he's got policies and procedures. He's got a review for Jaco right now uh, that that will take him from here to December, uh, pouring over every sentence in his P&Ps. Am, am I right?
1: You're absolutely correct. And then we add on to the whole coronavirus thing, and oh, it's just nuts.
0: It's insanity. The director of nursing – is a no particular psychiatric hospital. I, 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 in a medical hospital you have lots of lieutenants, but in a psychiatric hospital you are you're a one man band. So, uh, do you want to tell people where the hospital is, just in
1: case they uh, want to know? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, my hospital is in Westminster. The name of it. My boss still love me. Is um, it's Care Hospital Westminster. Um, it's it's a nice facility. I love it. Um, they, one thing about my supervisor very supportive. Mm. Because I have, to, I have to come clean on who I am because we yeah. do background checks. Yeah. And so you know, they're like, okay, well, we know what you did, but what can you do now? It's good. And so I give them props.
0: Well, if you need me to straighten them out, just send them my way. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm a, a new advocate for Anthony. All right, my friend. We will talk again soon, and uh, we appreciate it. And everyone else, we'll see you next time.